0: It's us, the Curious City crew, and we're doing something we've never done on a podcast before. We're ice skating or trying to ice skate. Whoa. <laughs> we're at Navy Piers temporary ice rink to state the obvious. It's cold and it's winter.
1: And does it feel like we haven't seen the sun in forever? Yeah. I
2: mean, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. it's the worst. I
3: don't know. I kind of love winter. You get to do things like sledding and ice skating. <laughs> yeah.
2: Maybe the number one question we get as Chicagoans during the winter is, why do we live here?
0: Well, we can't answer that question, but we have gotten a bunch of other winter-related queries over the years.
2: Like, how much sun do we actually get during the winter? How does the road salt runoff affect our lake and ecosystem?
4: Or where can I take my dog for
0: fun when it's cold out? How can we avoid falling ice? Well today we've got a bunch of answers that we hope will help you through the frigid temps. But first,
1: this was fun at all, but my feet are killing me and let's get off the ice before someone gets hurt. Most likely me. But more's coming up.
0: How you doing, Joe?
2: Good. Good, I'm good.
0: look at that, you got it. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're back inside where it's nice and toasty by the heater. The Curious City crew threw a bunch of winter questions into a furry trapper hat, and we each took a turn pulling one out. Hmm, okay. First up, it's me, Susie On. And I pulled a question that takes me back outside to the lake. I'm walking along the lakefront path. It's gray and cold out, but it feels refreshing to breathe in the brisk air as the waves splash against the beach. I run into George Garcia, who lives near the lake. Winter, spring, summer or fall, he's outside nearly every day for his dog walking business, even when it's freezing. He says it's especially beautiful in winter.
2: And then right. all that snow, it looks like lily pads on the lake sometimes because it cracks, and it leaves these circles that white around the edges. But it's beautiful, especially when it's got this teal color. And then when it snows a lot and it freezes, it looks beautiful.
0: Starting in the fall, you might notice these little sand dunes bumping up against the lakefront path along Chicago's beaches. A few curious city listeners wondered, "What's up with those little sand dunes that you really only see during the fall and winter?" Kathy Breitenbach with the Chicago Park District says these artificial berms are built to mimic what a natural dune would do. I called her up and she says they keep sand off the lakefront path. Uh, We also get pretty strong storms off the lake in the winter. And so having the sand built up at the back of the beach
5: helps keep it uh, from washing away.
0: Kathy says every year around October, the Park District piles existing sand on the beach into these little hills. They knock them down in the spring, clean up debris that's washed ashore, and get things smoothed out for the summer. Kathy says you won't see those berms during beach season.
6: During the summertime, we groom them seven days a week, so you know we we sort of keep things where we want them to be for the public's enjoyment.
4: Um, and in the winter, that's not an operation we have running.
0: She says the park district has been making these little dunes in the winter for a while now. So I asked Jimmy, the guy who drives the bulldozer. And he said that he remembers going back 25, 30 years uh, It's about how long that he can remember since so he have been hearing this. Bulldozer Jimmy told her it first started with just a few beaches, but the agency expanded it to all beaches after seeing how well these artificial berms worked. George the dog walker says these little dunes add to the beauty of the city's winter landscape.
2: Yeah, they do. And actually, sometimes it's all ice. Ice and water because it keeps flashing and then it freezes and it keeps accumulating up and it becomes this wall of ice and snow.
0: Kathy says she personally enjoys a winter walk on the lakefront trail with snow taking different shapes on the dunes and icy waves crashing on the shore. But she gives a warning. Do not try to scramble up an icy mound and don't hop a barrier closing off sections of beach or trail. Don't endanger yourself or the first responders who will have to rescue you. We're gonna stick around the lake for just a bit because Joe Disso, Curious City Senior Producer, you pulled a question about salt runoff?
2: Right, so we got a question about road salt. Like, does it have an environmental impact on Lake Michigan or the surrounding ecosystem? To answer that and a little bit more, I brought along a little friend to show us the journey road salt
7: takes. Imagine me, I'm a little salt rock about the size of a pea. And there are like lots and lots of me.
6: We start the season with 425,000 tons on the ground, which fall over 19 salt piles throughout the city.
7: That's Cole Stollard. He's the commissioner of Chicago's Department of Streets and Sanitation. And he's talking about the different locations where the city stores its salt.
6: Everybody likes to talk about the one that it's up at the hill at Grand and Rockwell. It's the salt dome that can hold up to 60,000 tons. They can see it when they're flying into Midway Airport. You can actually see it from the airplane.
7: Throughout the winter months, streets and sand help keep the streets safe and clear of snow and ice. And we salt crystals are a key ingredient in the overall approach to winter road safety. The city says the last winter, it went through more than 140,000 tons of salt. At a price tag of 66 bucks a ton, that's more than $9 million last year alone. But even after we've done our job, melted the snow and ice, our journey hasn't ended.
5: Hi, I'm Rachel Haverlov. <clears throat> Let me
7: get my, uh, my voice on. Rachel's the founder and director of the Freshwater Lab at the University of Illinois Chicago. She says that in addition to corroding the roads, roads all like me make our way into the surrounding ecosystem of plants and wildlife where we can have a big impact but most of us eventually make our way down.
5: Well, let's follow the salt in the pipes a little bit. So Chicago has storm drains that pick up all the the rain and the runoff. And those drains ultimately meet with the drains from all of the homes and businesses. So it'll meet with the other sewers underground Those go into the tunnel and reservoir project. So massive underground tunnels, huge reservoirs.
7: It's here where we finally take a little breather. The Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago cleans up the water to what's called a secondary level. Nothing you'd want to ingest, and it doesn't clean out any salt. From here, this fun soup is, well, is it
5: is discharged into the sanitary and ship canal.
7: So not directly into the lake. Only some of the salt that's placed on our streets ever makes it into Lake Michigan, and not by way of the canal. And what does hit the lake is nominal in comparison, which is important to note, since Lake Michigan is where most people here get their drinking water from. So the salt runoff has risen, but not to threatening levels. That's the good news. But the journey isn't over. Back to the canal.
5: And so, what Chicago does that nowhere else in the world does is we send all this water far away from us. And so, that salt is flowing with all this water from the Sanitary and Ship Canal to the Dis Plains River to the Illinois River to the Mississippi. So salt used in Chicago can make its way all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, which is the ultimate end of Chicago's wastewater.
7: As we make our trip, we can have harmful effects on the surrounding plants and wildlife. Road salt from throughout the region makes its way, along with lots of other harmful chemicals and such from agricultural runoff, not only into open water, but also into groundwater reservoirs. And at the tail end of the journey, at the mouth of the Mississippi, all of this pollution creates what's known as a dead zone, an area where most of marine life is either pushed out or killed off. And the dead zone down there, Rachel says,
5: I mean, it is the size of a state is how big the dead zone in the Gulf is.
7: And that, shall we say, is where my journey ends.
2: Uh, Thanks. Um. Salt? So, if salt's part of the overall problem, why not ditch it? Some alternatives to salt, like sand for instance, are better for the environment and fairly cheap, but can do ungodly wonders on our sewer systems. And other options can get costly, like upwards of 25 times as pricey as salt which for a place like Chicago could shoot our annual salt budget to enormous amounts. But there are more affordable solutions, in part because, well...
5: The practices are improving.
2: That's Walt Kelly of the Illinois State Water Survey. And he's referring to a practice called smart salting. And the city of Chicago, Cook County, and beyond are actually on it. For instance...
4: They're not just going out and just dumping salt continuously wherever, anytime there's a little bit of snow out there.
2: Some municipalities, including Chicago, have another trick up their smart salting sleeve.
6: We do have a beet juice uh, formula. There's salt in the beet juice. It's a mix.
2: Cole from Streets and Sands says this brine gets sprayed on the city's bridges and overpasses before it snows or before anything freezes. Rachel of the Freshwater Lab says that by combining some of these overall techniques... We can all make a difference.
5: It's not, you know, only your singular harm, but, you know, we're talking about decades and decades of adding this to the water. So I would just always say, avoid the salt, right? We need to go, America needs to go on a low sodium diet for its roads and get off the salt and make that healthy choice for our water.
0: So the salt that helps clear the ice and snow doesn't really impact our Lake Michigan drinking water, but it does have some impact on our
2: neighbors. Yeah, so like Rachel suggests, we should try to find better environmental alternatives.
0: Thanks, Joe. Okay, moving along from salt clearing the ice to ice falling from the sky. We've got more winter questions from The Hat coming up next. Ice is unavoidable during Chicago winters, whether it's ice on the roads or icicles hanging off buildings. Maggie Civit, Curious Cities digital and engagement producer here, Maggie, you pulled a question, or or maybe several questions, about falling ice? I did. So, picture this. You're walking around downtown
3: Chicago in the middle of winter. The sidewalk is slick, the snow is falling, and in front of you, you see sign after sign that reads, caution, falling ice.
0: Oh yeah, I see those all the time and they make me nervous. Me too. And you know,
3: we're all familiar with icicles forming on the eaves of buildings. And we can imagine that in the loop where the buildings tower over you, if ice were to come loose and fall, it could be really dangerous. But many of our listeners have been wondering, like, where exactly am I supposed to walk when I'm walking downtown and every building on either side of the street is warning me about possible falling ice? Those are my exact questions, too. What did you find out? Well, I met up with my SunTimes colleague, Elvia Malagon, She reported on falling ice and the signs that warn about it for the Chicago Tribune a few years ago. So I knew she would be the perfect person to tell me why we have these signs in Chicago specifically and where you should walk to avoid falling ice downtown. Hey, Elvia.
8: Hey, Maggie. So first
3: of all, why Chicago? I've lived in the Midwest my whole entire life, and I feel like it's only in Chicago that I see these falling ice signs everywhere in winter.
8: So it all goes back to 1994. That's when Donald Booth, a 48-year-old man from Wisconsin, was in Chicago waiting for his daughter to finish a college entrance exam. And as he's coming outside to hail a cab on Michigan Avenue, a huge piece of ice falls from a building and tragically kills him. And according to reports, it was a chunk of ice the size of a microwave. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Yeah, it really was. And his family, not surprisingly, filed a lawsuit. They sued the owner of the building and the building's occupant, Neiman Marcus. And they ended up getting a $4.5 million payout, which today would be more like $8.5 million with inflation. And
3: after that, did the city make it a rule or something that building owners or building occupants had to put those signs out on their sidewalks?
8: No, and there's no rule and never has been, although the Chicago Department of Buildings does advise building owners on its website to put signs out. But you really started to see these signs in the loop after Donald Booth died. And for building owners, the idea was that If and when a lawsuit happened, the signs would give them one way to argue. Hey, we warned you. I see.
3: But I'm still kind of wondering the question we started out with. What should you do when you see these signs? Like, is it safer to walk closer to the buildings or further away, closer to the street, to avoid getting hit by ice?
8: Yeah, so I talked to Tony Cinnamon. He's an architect and facade consultant at WJE. He's actually worked on several buildings in Chicago that were having issues with snow and ice falling especially over main entrances. And he said where ice falls depends on a few factors. Like what? Well, for one thing, there's the type of ice. Sometimes it slides off in a big thin sheet and kind of sails through the air out away from the building. Other times it comes in a big heavy chunk and falls straight down and both can be dangerous. Yikes. Yeah, plus things like wind speed and wind direction matter too.
3: So are you saying there's really no best practice for avoiding falling ice?
8: Yeah, not really.
3: Well, are there certain types of buildings that ice is more likely to fall from?
8: Yeah, horizontal surfaces like flat roofs and wide windowsills, they tend to collect a lot of snow and ice. And then when it melts a little bit, it can start to slide and fall off. So buildings with lots of these kinds of surfaces are more likely to have problems. Hmm. Fortunately, there are things they can do like changing the angle at the edge of a flat roof so ice or snow is more likely to stay in place while it melts. Another thing they can do is add little cylinders across the flat surface so ice is less likely to form and then fall in those really big pieces.
3: Oh, that's interesting. Actually would not have thought of that. And so did you find out how often falling ice becomes a problem in Chicago?
8: Well, that's the good news here. Despite the fact that you might see a dozen of these signs when you're out walking downtown in the middle of winter, Tony, the facade expert, said it's uncommon for it to become a big enough issue that you have to redesign a building. And I also spoke with a doctor from Stroger Hospital who said they hardly ever see people come in with injuries from falling ice.
3: Well, that's kind of reassuring. At least I know that I'm much more likely to get injured by slipping and falling on the ice, which has happened to me, than I am to get hit with a piece of ice falling from a building.
8: Exactly. So either way, you gotta be careful.
3: Well, thank you so much, Elvia.
8: Thank you, Maggie.
0: All right, up next, senior producer Jason Mark. You pulled from the hat a question about the winter sun, or maybe the lack of it.
1: Yes, yes I did. And as we all know, the weather in Chicago is nuts. This winter, we're in an El Nino pattern, which means we'll generally have a warmer, drier winter, but that doesn't mean that we won't get freezing-like blasts of Arctic air or any number of random snow dumps but one of the things that we can almost always count on in the winter, or any time of the year really, is lots of cloudy days. And a Curious City listener asked us, how much sun does Chicago get in comparison to somewhere with a Mediterranean climate, like Monaco? So I started thinking, "Mm, maybe Monaco has more sun because they're closer to the equator. But after busting out Google Earth, I quickly realized that Chicago and Monaco are at almost the exact same latitude. So I called up Scott Collis, an
9: atmospheric scientist at Argonne National Laboratory,
1: and he was able to break down exactly how much sun Chicago sees in December versus Monaco. Now here's the thing. As you know, we don't see a lot of sun in the winter. Scott says we only have clear or mostly clear days 30% of the time. Now
9: when we compare that to somewhere like Monaco, which is even a little further north than Chicago, it is mostly clear or clear 50% of the time, and only cloudy or mostly cloudy 40% of the time.
1: So Monaco gets quite a bit more sun, especially in winter as compared to Chicago. Of course, the follow-up question in your head and mine right now is, why? But. Before we answer that, I wanted Scott to define the terms he used and the terms we often hear in our forecasts. What does clear, partly cloudy, and cloudy actually mean? Turns out, Collis is his name and clouds are his game. In actual fact, my scientific career is built around the study of clouds. And at this point, we both proceeded to geek out in a way that would make Tom Skilling proud. And this is where it does get very
9: complicated as well because not all clouds are the same. But there are some hard numbers behind this. So, overcast, the cloudiest of skies has to be at least 88% to 100% of the sky covered in clouds. To be called sunny or clear, it's 0 to 5% covered in clouds. Partly sunny or mostly cloudy is 51 to 69%, and the other categories fill in between where you have mostly clear. Almostly cloudy.
1: And how exactly are these categories determined? In my famously snarky way, I said, so what, there's a guy who sticks his head out the window? Turns out the joke's on me. Yes, there is a guy at many major airports
9: who actually will go out and he'll look and he'll record the fraction of the sky
1: covered by clouds. Now back to the question of why why would there be such a difference in weather between two cities that are about the same distance from the equator, in the middle of their respective continents, and next to large bodies of water? Scott explains what goes into a city's weather is where its wind and weather comes from. Monaco sits on the Mediterranean
9: coast, and most of its weather and most of its winds comes off the Atlantic Ocean, but When they come off the Atlantic Ocean, they actually travel over Europe and over some of the mountain ranges of Europe, and they dry out. When you push air up over mountains, it tends to make all the
1: moisture in the air rain out, like squeezing water out of a sponge and of course clouds are made of water so if all the water is squeezed out of the air before it hits monaco you're going to have far fewer clouds than in a place like chicago where the atmosphere can pick up lots of moisture from the plains to our west or especially the gulf of mexico from the south but no matter how cloudy it gets scott says don't get too bummed out so i always say in chicago if you don't like the weather wait a couple of months, it's going to be completely different. I've always heard that phrase is wait a couple of minutes. Anyway, Scott's point is the winter and the clouds will eventually pass.
0: Thanks, Jason. Yeah, I think the waiting a couple months is the thing that bums people out the most. But it's okay because we've got a lot of Chicago folks who won't let the winter weather get in the way of being outdoors or having fun. Which leads us to our final question. Hey, it's Adriana cardona Magigad. Adriana, tell us what question you grabbed from the hat.
4: Well, a question asker wanted to know, what are some things he can do with his dog in the winter? Where can they go to have some fun? The obvious suggestion is going to a dog park or taking a walk in the woods. But there are other options when it's zero degrees outside and you and your dog just don't feel like being in freezing temperatures.
3: Indoor swimming pool for dogs is a great way to keep pups active during winter.
4: That's Mackenzie Mayslack at the Doggy Paddle Aquatic Center for Dogs. These dogs are playing fetch in the pool. Some have little life jackets on. They're having a great time.
0: Oh my goodness,
4: Dogs need exercise regardless of the time of the year. And they also need mental stimulation. Otherwise, they might tear up your shoes or the furniture, and the winter does make it challenging. Susanna Wickham, who heads Pulse Chicago, says, you have to get creative, like fitting games.
6: If your dog is at home for a long time because of the weather, you can make mealtime more interesting and more mentally stimulating for them by incorporating some sort of a puzzle mat where they have to kind of uh, work to get the food or a feeder. Uh, That's just an
4: easy thing to do. If you don't always want to stay home with your dog, now you know there are indoor swimming pools where dogs can have a good time and exercise. But if your dog isn't a swimmer, Susanna says some retail stores and malls are great places to visit with your dog when it's cold. Home Depot is one of the dog friendliest places
6: in the city. And if you have a big dog, it's even harder to find places that they can have the space to walk around. And there are more than 20 Home Depots in the Chicago area. They're spread throughout the the region. And
4: they are such
6: a wonderful place
4: for dogs. Of course, you have to keep your dog on a leash and... You can't really run around or play fetch, but your dog can still sniff things, interact with other people, get a few steps in, and it all helps. There are also doggy daycares and training centers. Pass, for example, offers agility classes, which introduces dogs to obstacle sequences. And there's more. There are dog-friendly bars. There are many of them. But you have to make sure you go to the right bar. So call first. According to a city ordinance, It has to be a bar that doesn't serve
6: food. So anywhere that has a kitchen, restaurants, for instance, cannot allow dogs inside unless they're serviced animals.
4: What's most important, Susana says, is to figure out how to keep your dog physically active and find ways to get out of your house once in a while for you and your dog's mental health.
0: Thanks, Adriana. I love that Home Depot tip. Well, this has been fun. I spent most of my life with mild winters, so this has been an education.
1: And look, I don't mind the cold. It's really just the slush. You get this beautiful snow, and then 10 minutes later, it's filthy, and it's on your shoes, and it's in your house, and your
0: Okay. Curious City listeners, keep those questions about Chicago and the region coming. Head to wbez.org slash Curious City, where you'll see a super simple way to drop us your question. Curious City is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR Network.
2: I'm Jason Mark. And I'm Joe Disseau, and we produce the show.
0: I'm Maggie Sibit, and I'm the digital and engagement producer.
3: I'm Susie Ahn. I edit the show. And I'm Adriana Cardona-Magigat, signing off
4: for the last time as Curious City's reporter.
0: But she won't be going too far. You can hear Adriana on WBEZ as the new immigration reporter. We're the Curious City team. Thanks for listening.
1: And another thing, these people who don't shovel, and I'm trying to walk my dog, and I'm slipping everywhere, and I'm about to break my neck, and it gets dark, and like, 4:00.